Good to be here. It's our privilege to open the scriptures together and look at what God has said and understand it. By grace, believe it, and God will use it to benefit those who trust him. I want to begin, as we're on the first slide here, read the text, and that's from uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. And I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, which is a later version of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And I'll also reference other ways to translate some of these same words. This seemed to be very clear, so this is the one I'm reading from. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. So let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or a Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, everything is yours. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Let's pray before we go further in this and ask God for wisdom and understanding of what he said. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and kindness. Thank you for revealing these things through your Christ, your son Jesus Christ and the apostles that you sent, the real ones. And Lord, may we believe what you've said. May we learn, may we grow and find grace. And if there's any that hear this that do not know you, may they believe on you for salvation today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we go to the first part, verse 21, I'm using an outline that I thought was very astutely um, seen by Gordon Fee, and that outline has to do with three things that'll be found here. Exhortation, stop boasting in men, and as we go forward, theology, and then doxology. Exhortation is the imperative, what we ought to quit doing and then the theology is why and who the person of work of Christ is. And doxology gives all glory to God. That's where we're going to go. So in verse 21a, so let no one boast in human leaders. This section, 1 Corinthians 3, is like bookends going very far back to chapter 1, where Paul talks about people following personalities rather than trusting Christ alone and giving all glory to God. So the prohibition of boasting in this particular verse is in the present imperative, and it's not incorrect to translate this, stop boasting in men. In this case, human leaders, stop boasting in men. And This is cutting to the heart of the heirs that have risen throughout church history. It's the nature of what's happened. This is warned about, but it still happened. The people want to identify with a human leader and say, there, that's my one decision. I'll follow this. Whether it's to join a group, take an oath, swear allegiance to some uh, something that arose in church history, 
There's been a desire to do that, but we're warned not to. And the reason, it will be provided as we go along. I call it the why. And this is the third imperative in this section. Just before this, in 318 through 21, we had two other imperatives. Let no one deceive himself and let him become a fool so that he can become wise. So the first one, don't deceive yourself. Second one, become a fool. That sounds like kind of an odd imperative, but you got to get the irony there. I've preached on this before in the, in the last few sermons. What it means in this context to become a fool is to believe in Jesus Christ crucified once for all. Why would that make you a fool? Because Christ crucified is a scandal to the Jews, scandalon, trigger trap, or an offense you could translate that, and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Maria, fool, foolishness. And so God has ordained in his sovereign wisdom that the way to himself, to salvation, to forgiveness of sins, to eternal life, is through God the Son, Jesus Christ, crucified once for all, which offends everybody. And as we've been preaching through these verses, I pointed out that church history has so sanitized this whole process that it tends not to offend. Crosses are real nice and shiny and gold. Churches have beautiful stained glass windows and spires. And in fact, if you look at some of the most magnificent ones, it's so distracting if you're in such a building, you can hardly focus on anything that anybody's preaching because of all of the ornate structure and architecture. But it wasn't so when Paul wrote these words. It wasn't so when Christ was crucified. It was not so as life went on for those who trusted in Christ. When you came to Christ, you were rejected by the world, by the Jews, by your family. And what the Christians had was one another. So Paul saw this boasting in men to be a huge danger. Earlier on, we'll we'll reference this again. He's heard that they were saying this, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos, and then he reacts to that. So if you boast in human leaders, you're implying, now Paul, Apollos, Cephas, which is Peter, preached the same gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. But others will come along in church history and say, I know something that everybody else missed. And people swear allegiance to human leaders. So this is a conclusion to the prohibition and warning about self-delusion caused by worldly wisdom. Now, this comes at the very end of chapter 3 
on the heels of Paul explaining that we are those who believe in Christ, God's field, God's building, and God's temple. And therefore, we must give God all the glory. There's no way, if we fully understand the implications of the cross, people are saying, that's really cool. I want to be a part of it. That sounds like something that would work for me. No. The reaction is foolishness, scandal, and utter rejection, other than by God's grace that changes us. So uh, let me just make this statement. So can be right, rightly translated, so then, which shows that this is a logical and necessary conclusion from Paul's original concern, which was stated in 1, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Now, if you think about it, when Paul heard that some were wanting to align themselves with him, he could have said, what an opportunity. We're going to start the church of Paul. Who needs Peter? Who needs anybody else preaching? But that would be wicked because the glory needs to go to God. It isn't who preached the gospel to you. It's who sent the Savior to die for sins. All glory must go to God. We can't have these divisions. So as we go through following, I think, a correct understanding of this, the exhortation, we want to go to some theology. Why? Why are we to not boast in human leaders? There's a phrase here. I'll explain it a little bit from the Greek, but let me just read how it's translated here. For everything is yours. And I have that highlighted there in red. It would be very correct to translate it, all things are yours. All things is a good translation. Many of the versions do that. It's repeated again in verse 22. Why is it important? Because it's emphasized by repetition. This is taken out of context, something that people could run with and really get people confused and actually do the very thing Paul is warning against. Everything is yours, or all things are yours. Now, we're going to see why, but let me give a warning on the front end. There are false teachers that say, all things are yours, but you have to claim them. I'm claiming the house I want. I'll claim the boat I want. I'll claim the healing I want. And they end up making disciples after themselves by picking and choosing through the Bible and taking various passages out of context and not carefully understanding what this is about. If we cannot understand this is about God's work of grace and all glory going to him and not following human leaders, we'll do the very thing Paul warns against. Somebody will claim to have a secret the rest of us missed. It's in Scripture. And so I make a statement here 
that I think, and you can judge whether this follows from the text, I believe that it does. God's promises in Christ are not sectarian, or you could, in English, use parochial. In other words, God's promises are for believers who trust Christ alone through the offense of the cross, the scandal of the cross, the the foolishness used ironically of the cross. What is provided is provided for all Christians. Here is some comfort as we go through. You will not miss out on what God's provided because you didn't go to the right seminar or you didn't follow the right preacher or you didn't get the right whatever it is because that leads us back to what's being rejected. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. I'm of whoever it may be. Those were legitimate Bible preachers. Obviously, Paul's an apostle. He'll argue that in 1 Corinthians 15. But now there are new ones coming along, the new apostolic reformation, the new teachers. And they're saying, everyone got it wrong, but now we know what it means. And we're back to being sectarian. When the resurrection happens, the resurrection of the righteous, when the promises of God become fulfilled, It'll be true for all who know Christ, not based on what preacher they followed. Another statement that I put as a bullet point here, no one who truly believes in Christ crucified will miss out. How often people are lied to by people who access, now you can go around the world and say, You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. You're going to do it wrong. You're going to listen to the wrong things. You're going to use the wrong Bible translation. You're going to not say it right. You're going to fumble the ball, and the devil will get it back from you, and then your life is going to be a big mess. No. If you believe in Christ, the crucified Jewish Messiah who was raised from the dead, you will not miss out. I preached earlier from Luke, the thief on the cross who eventually believed didn't miss out. He was being tormented and tortured. And earlier, he'd been mocking Christ, and then he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're not going to miss out. But there's a danger, and the danger is following human leaders who are not truly apostles, who don't understand the gospel, or they pick and choose their way through the Bible so you only get the verses they want you to know, but then they skip the rest. That happens again and again. we got to look at each text. You won't miss out. It's very important. Therefore, now here's a conclusion, the why. Boasting must only be in the Lord, which is a reiteration, and we'll cover this in one of our applications, of 1 Corinthians 1, 29 to 31. Let whoever boasts, 
boast in the Lord. Only in the Lord. Now, what about the all or all things or here, it's translated everything. Everything. Now, this applies to believers who believe the true gospel, which has been believed from the time of the apostles on. Everything is comprehensive and eternal. We'll see that in the next verse. Everything is yours if you know Christ. You're not going to miss out because you didn't know the secret. It's either revealed or it's not. What's revealed is for us. The secret things belong to God. So I'll make a statement and then we'll move to the next slide. This is why boasting in human leaders must not continue. There is no special preacher, group, or superior spirituality that matters if those who were converted through the gospel are safe in Christ. We've already covered there are rewards. There's loss of reward, degrees of reward and punishment. Those who do not know Christ, but we're not going to have a leg up on everybody else by following some certain preacher. Eric mentioned this morning, some are saying, don't listen to Paul because his writings aren't good. Now, there's another preacher who says Paul only minus some of the things that aren't good. This, you might as well just ignore all of this. You listen to that sort of thing. Paul is not pointing to Paul. He's not pointing to Peter. He says, what, is Christ divided? Christ is not divided. You won't miss out. The whole counsel of God is for the whole church. Let's go to verse 22. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, here's a repetition, everything is yours. If your translation says all things are yours, that's also accurate. Repeating in the same order the three who were mentioned earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Why are all things for all believers who trust Christ alone? Because God makes promises. God cannot lie. God will keep his promises. And salvation is by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. And if you're not offended by the truth, or having been offended, you're converted like Saul of Tarsus. Christ crucified is the hope of glory. We're trusting in him. All servants of Christ will participate in God's eternal promises. The false teachers, like Simon, the magician or sorcerer in Acts 8, Peter speaking boldly when he heard that Simon wanted to pay money to have the power to give people the Holy Spirit, which would mean he would control salvation. What did Peter say to him? You have no part or lot in this matter, 
because your heart is not right with God. Why? You can't buy this. It's the gift of God. Peter said that to Simon, the false teacher, the sorcerer. Now, as I've said, there's no particular preacher who has a secret that will make us better off. How many books have been sold with the title Secret? The Secret. The Secret too. Well, if it's a secret, then you don't know it, so you can't write a book about it. And if you really know a secret, that's the very definition of the occult. The secret things belong to God. So really, we should be talking about what is revealed. And definitions are critical. Without being able to understand and define what God said. We don't know what he said, and we are prey to various teachers. And so I thank missionaries, evangelists, Bible translators. We got a good update on the prayer thing about someone um, who was encountered by evangelists who admitted that the world didn't come into its own existence. I knew that before I was converted. We got to get the truth out there, help people understand. There's no secret. There's the revealed truth of God. I want to make a statement. We'll go to the next slide. The hope and freedom we gain through faith in Christ crucified, the offense to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, is not the domain of any particular preacher or group. By repeating, all things belong to you, that's the New American Standard, Paul makes this emphatic. This is my statement. The all things statements in this context are literal. The Corinthian believers belong to Christ, as do Paul, Apollos, and Peter. All believers belong to Christ. God is not going to Say, well, you missed out. You should have got the Kenneth Copeland tapes. Or you should have got the oath-taking and joined Rick Warren's movement. Or you should have gone to see Peter Wagner's church growth seminar. Or you should have got, and I've listened to a lot of these things over the years. But what do we know is true? Oh, God cannot lie. Is the Bible the word of God? Yes. God has spoken. God has spoken in these last, last days through his son. And I would like us to all have, including me, a love for the truth that would mean this. If I can understand correctly what God said in his word, will I cling to that and allow that to get truth to change me by the Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible changing me? Or will I get angry and say, 
Well, I, I didn't hear that. Uh, that's not what my group said. That's not what I heard. Are we willing to search the scriptures to see if these things are true? They're not true because somebody else said it. It's true because God said it. Now, what about the third point? All glory belongs to God. And we'll talk about the distinctions here, the Trinitarian distinctions, that the Trinitarian truth is that we believe, and it's biblical, in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all God. Three persons in the Godhead. We'll show you that. And I have a, a benediction that's a Trinitarian benediction. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.23, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Christ belongs to God. This doesn't diminish the deity of Christ. This isn't about Christ's essential godhood. It isn't about, the, you know, the false teachers early on in church history Say, I think Eric mentioned this the other day. They had a little poetic sing-songy. There was a time when he was not. That's how they spread their heresy. That's the Jehovah Witnesses have another version of that. Jesus, they say, was a created being and not co-eternal. That's a lie. It's a damnable heresy. You belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. Therefore, those who are in Christ have all things. And there, there seems to be, from many years of ministry and listening to even my own issues of having to literally, by failures in the 70s, finally in the 80s, deciding, I think I better preach the Bible because at least that doesn't change. I'm not preaching on this because this never was something I did, because I did. One group says, we have the answer that everybody else doesn't have. And so you join, and we follow certain teachers. But it, it flopped. So others followed a different teacher. That flopped. Others followed another teacher. That flopped. And finally, to my shame, after some years of that, I remembered teachers who were in a group, but they just kept going back to the Bible. They said, stay in the scriptures, study the word of God, learn the language, learn the Greek, and stay right there. And the only thing left to do was to do that. What if we taught verse by verse through the Bible and let the Bible teach us and just see if we can understand it? At least if we do get it right, by God's grace, I won't have to say, well, that teacher was wrong. I guess we shouldn't have told you to follow him or her, whoever it was. No, we don't have to apologize if the Bible tells us the truth and we taught it. Because God cannot lie. And if we don't understand it well, and someone understands it better, 
we can be corrected and get back to the truth. There's a baseline. God has spoken. That is what we can go back to. We can be corrected. But if some infallible leader never will admit that he was wrong, starts a group, we follow it until the failure becomes obvious, and then some people walk away in disillusionment and never come back. So many never come back. I interviewed a a couple who escaped from a false apostle, and they told me that many, many young people had joined this group, and they were so zealous, they were so devoted, but when the thing finally was obviously wrong and disillusionment came in, they said nearly everyone we know that left is not even serving God. They're atheists. They gave up. The thing that is allure, that uh, is seductive to young idealistic people is any kind of higher order, better, more pious, more fervent, more correct, more zealous. We're going to do it. All Everybody else got it wrong. We have it. It attracts people. But when it flops, as it always does, disillusioned, wounded, fearful people don't know where to go. And what a sad thing, a young couple said, we don't, nearly everyone who's there with us isn't even serving God. And I'd written about that, and so that's what we had the meeting. They'd asked if I'd meet with them. Let me cite Gordon Fee now. You might say, well, aren't you a follower of Gordon Fee? No, if he's wrong, then he's wrong too. And he made a statement that I noticed. Here's, let me tell you why scholarship's important. Scholars are there to help us understand the text. Leaders who want followers are there to get followers at any cost. Scholars put their material out to be judged by anyone who knows it and can give a counter-understanding if they got something wrong. And I noticed that um, several who have come later cite Gordon Fee saying, this is such a great statement. Now, let me show you that he is giving glory to God. Gordon Fee, by the way, when I first read his commentary, he didn't fall under the category, well, uh, they don't understand gifts because they're not in a group that believes there are gifts. Because he came from a Pentecostal background, I noticed that that wasn't his motivation. It helped me. Gordon Fee, quote, God is therefore the ultimate reality, the one who created and therefore possesses all things. And outside of whose ultimate control lies nothing. Everything Paul understands about the work of Christ, says Fee, and I believe this is a valid statement, he continues, is predicated on that singular reality. There is therefore, this is therefore a soteriological statement. Let me 
uh, interpret that long word. Soteriology is the study of salvation. This is how God saves. This is not an ontological statement about the being of Christ being lesser, but that it, Christ is the one who died for sins. Back to the statement. This, this is therefore a soteriological statement about salvation, not a Christological one in terms of Christ's being. Christ Jesus is fully God from all eternity. Co-creator, John 1, 1 through 18. Some people would say, why teach theology to the church? That's for seminaries. Because the seminaries, in many cases, have lost interest in it. If we don't teach theology directly to the people who love the truth, along will come something else, some other version. Some people will say we need political salvation. Um, The emergent say God is in everything and everything is evolving into a future. And so we research that. Some will say the Bible is so obscure and complex we can't understand it. So I'm not saying all seminaries are bad. I went to one. I went to a Bible college. But we've got to learn to search the scriptures. So let me finish that citation from Fee. In keeping with the rest of the New Testament, most such soteriological statements, when they include words about the Father and the Son, express subordination. And I mentioned some verses here. I won't cite them today. Of 1 Corinthians 15, 23 to 28. He continues, but this, but this is functional subordination, not ontological. What does that mean? That means being. Jesus in his being is God. Jesus in his incarnation is fully human. The sinless Savior, the, the virgin-born creator, is the one and only one who lived a sinless life. He's the only one who fulfilled all these prophecies. He's the one who predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection. He's the one who rose from the dead. He's the one who talked about his ascension, even on the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, with Moses and Elijah. The father said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. That does not diminish the deity either of the Holy Spirit or of the Son. That's the Trinitarian understanding. So back to what that statement Fee made, subordination, not ontological. That is, he says, just as what is said much later in 1523 to 28. It has to do with Christ's function as Savior, not with his being as God, unquote. If you know that, if you believe these things, the Mormons will not be able to lie to you. The Jehovah Witnesses will not capture you and make you a watchtower slave. They'll keep trying, 
but they will not be able to. One time, two, two JWs came by, it was out in the driveway, and there was a younger one, and the one that was more seasoned, starting to tell me about Watchtower Society. So I started telling them from John about the deity of Christ. Did you know that these I am sayings, in the Greek, ego and me, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. These are made by Jesus Christ, and these are the very same words that are stated in the Old Testament. I am that I am. Jesus is claiming to be God. That was just coming out of me, and the older one saw the younger one sitting there listening. I never heard that. We got to go. They left. Lest I dissuade the potential new slave from remaining in slavery to Kingdom Hall, which is a wicked, abusive attack against Christ and the gospel. So the deity of Christ, the deity of the Holy Spirit, are about roles in the Trinity, not about whether God is the Trinitarian God of the Bible. Three applications. Most of these are looking forward to things and reminding us of things. But let's go over it by way of review and preview. We must not boast in man lest we dishonor God, our true boast. Two, those who claim to know which human leaders are the best make false judgments. Three is the one that I love to remind myself of. Believe the promises of God. Got to know that we got them right, but we, having understood them, we need to believe them. Here's a review on the next slide. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 to 31. I'm using here again the Christian Standard Bible. I believe when I preached it the first time, I was using the NASB. They're both good translations. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Remember what Jesus said, the scripture cannot be broken. When it says it is written, the New Testament is pointing us back to what God said. God cannot lie. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. And as you look at this text, which I preached on, I think, August 22nd, 2021, I had to look it up to make sure I still agree with myself. I say that a little lightly because... Uh, if you do enough study, at least you have good reason for it. And I still affirm what was preached, August 22, 2021. It says in the New American Standard, it is, his, it is God's doing that you're in Christ. How do we give God the glory? By giving away all our money, by joining a commune. We did that. By taking an oath by trying harder, by doing more, 
by being more fervent, by being this way or that way, or claiming this or claiming that. How is it that we know that we're safe in Christ? By grace through faith is the gift of God. It's God's doing that you're in Christ. If indeed you're in Christ, give him the glory. If we, and I, I made a statement, and this is a, a review. If we redefine the cross, and this is something we wouldn't want to do, if we redefine the cross in terms of religious status, mysticism, hyperpiety, empty symbolism, or any uh, idea from the pagan culture, we boast in what God rejects. Oh, yes. We boast in what God rejects. I'm the really great Christian because I know something everybody else missed for 2,000 years. That's always a lie. We might think we are wise compared to ordinary Christians, but it's not our prerogative to make such comparisons. Anyone who comes to God on his terms, only by grace through faith, is truly wise. Look at this. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Those three things are not what we attained by boasting in man. They're what are given to us as our status in Christ. The imputed righteousness of Christ. Redemption from slavery to sin. Present work of sanctification that will be perfected at the resurrection. Boast is an interesting word to Greek. Kakomai, it almost sounds like that. It's like this loud word. Boast, boast, boast. Boasting. If we're going to boast, boast in the Lord. Let's go to the next slide. 1 Corinthians 1, 10, 12, 13. You see the point? This goes back to the beginning of Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 1. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but you, that, you may, that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. Now I'm saying this. Each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Rhetorical question. Of course not. Of course not. The Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah were there. They didn't say, no, really, you should listen to me. Moses wrote about Christ. Let me make a statement about this. In 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23, Paul returns to this issue. So this is a bookend. If all things are yours because of being in Christ, then claiming special status based on which human leader we follow is absurd. It's absurd. 
We gain nothing by making such claims, nor should we put somebody else there. Now, next week we're going to do a walkthrough of Romans 8, 27 to the end. And I promised that the other day in Sunday school. And when I first taught through Romans, it went pretty well till we got to this part. And this, for some reason, is hard for Christians to accept. But it's really an expanded version of what we have here on Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. The default religion of the entire fallen human race is works. Works. I did this. I did that. I am this. I am that. Don't you know I'm somebody important? We see that all the time, but it's not true. I remember the first year I I was in Bible college as a new Christian. The next year we got married, and thank you, by the way, for being so kind to us. Remember the 50 years that we survived being married. But that first year I went down to Iowa State because I was a junior down there when I was converted, and I wanted to go witness on campus. I remember something that happened I thought odd. Now, I was baptized in an Assemblies of God church and had a wonderful pastor named Reverend Hilton Griswold, who had been part of the Blackwood Brothers Quartet. And we went on campus over the weekend and witnessed and a couple of us went to a, some people and say, we're here to tell people about Jesus Christ. We're Christians. And the other guys heard us and said, we're navigators. So if, if we're saying we're Christians, they're saying we're navigators. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, I don't know if the navigators are good or bad back in those days, but that's not the right answer. A navigator was a proper noun of a group. It's like saying, I'm of Paul. And so as we talk about Christ, we're talking about what he did for us, not what group we belong to. Christ is not divided. One final slide, and I added to it in my notes here because I woke up this morning thinking about something, and I went and printed it because my handwriting is so bad. And I scotch-taped it onto my notes. So, believe the promises of God. Now, in 2 Corinthians, let's cite something here. 2 Corinthians 1, 20, Now, remember the dispute between the Corinthians and Paul went on. They really didn't think he was a good enough apostle. And so, continually was a problem. But here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 1. For as many as are the promises of God in him, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Let me read that and just think about it. As many as are the promises of God. 
Cult leaders make false promises. People who want to glorify themselves make false promises. People who may know Christ but get off base by trying to uh, compare themselves, and we've all done that, and it's not good. Well, how come this one's like this? How come this one's like that? I'm better than this one. I'm worse than that one. We don't even know these things. First of all, those things that are the promises of God are found in Scripture alone. Okay? They're in Scripture alone. And they are in him, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen. If God promises something, it's ours to say amen. If a false teacher gives a promise that God didn't give through a secret that's not really revealed, then we don't want to say amen to that. We say amen to what God has said. Amen uh, is found in the Old Testament. It would be, may it be, may God be glorified. Excuse me. Through so we say the Amen. God gives the promise there for our benefit. Now He was who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. Now Paul has to defend himself. They think he's not good enough. He was lesser than some of the other preachers. They're still making distinctions. They're still listening to false teachers. And the story of the Corinthian church is a very difficult and bad situation that he's trying to correct. And so Paul has to defend his own gospel and spirituality to the Corinthians. Now he establishes us with you in Christ. And anointed us as God. In other words, as it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 3, 21 through 23, everything is yours. Not because of Paul, not because of Peter, not because of Apollos, not because of anyone else, but because of Christ. Christ is not divided. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. I preached on this, I think, in Ephesians. Sealed would be uh, proof that this has not been tampered with. This is real. This is genuine. The seal of the king, nobody tampers. You are safe. And he gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. We are filled with the spirit and God is going to bring us to glory. Dear ones, God keeps his promises. This applies to all who come to God on his terms and trust Christ alone. I've already mentioned the person of Christ, the work of Christ, who he is and what he did. So what is he asking of us? Repent and believe the gospel. If you do not know Christ today, God is exhorting everyone, turn to me. Turn to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't trust religion. 
Don't trust man. Don't trust money. Don't trust status. Don't trust in anything but the Lord himself. His promises are eternal. Even the very, very rich with the ultimate glory now get old and have nothing to do but be taken care of. And it happens. That's not a failure. But it's a failure to never trust Christ. The two thieves on the cross and Christ all died. The one was with him in paradise. The other died in his sins. And Christ was raised on the third day. And he made promises. God keeps his promises. This applies to all who come to God. Today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, here's that verse. Jot it down. Psalm 50, verse 15. Psalm 50 and verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. This is from God. Call upon God. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. Do you need to be rescued? Do you have a day of trouble? Well, we know we do because we're still in this world. God is honored when we call on him in our day of trouble, and he is honored when he rescues us. Our idea that I can do it myself, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, I can solve my own problems, I can do it, I can make it, that dishonors God. And so there's so much false religion. They're saying, well, follow us, we'll help you. No. God says, call on me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. All glory goes to God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He rescues you. He saves you. He gets the glory. Call on God. We tend to think, and I've done this so often, I don't have trouble. I know how to solve problems. Admit that you need God. Do you need him to rescue you? For next week, and I'll give the benediction, here's our text we're going to cover. Romans 8, 28 through 39. And that expands on 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. We're going to do a walkthrough. I'm going to read it. I'm going to explain the concepts. And ask, I'm going to do this to all of us. Ask ourselves, is this comforting or troubling? If it's comforting, that's what's intended by the author. It's troubling to a lot of us when we first read it. We'll talk about that. And then if you still have questions, I'll, I'll lay it out there. Next week is communion. We can, you can challenge me the week after that in Sunday school if you have questions or you think the reading's not correct. Romans 8. And God, I believe, will use that to help us. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness, your mercy, grace, the providence, the promises, the things that bring us hope and comfort. And Lord, if any hear this who do not know you, may 
your Holy Spirit convict and pierce to the heart those who will call on you and be rescued. And Lord, may we be there for one another and give you all glory as you taught us in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless and we'll stand for the benediction. The benediction, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you. Go in peace, trusting in the Lord.